So, I don't know if you've ever been to a traditional nine lessons and carol service. When I told Rosie we were going to do this, she had no idea what I was talking about. Um, but hopefully some of you will have been to this really traditional carol service where essentially we just come and we're invited to listen to the Christmas story as we're told in the Bible. And then we get a chance to sing some of the carols which pick up on some of those themes. But I really love, there's something really special about that service that people all around our country are gathering together to hear the Christmas story. People that are young, people that are old, people who believe, people who are not sure if they believe, people that doubt, people that don't believe. The story of God entering into the world is something that unites people at this time of year. We can't shake off this amazing story. We get our children to tell it to us wearing tea towels and dressing gowns. We watch films about it. We sing songs about it. And what I love about the traditional carol service is that we're invited not just to be observers and listeners to the story, but we are participants in the Christmas story. We hear the good news of Jesus coming into the world and what that means to a group of workmen on the side of a Middle Eastern mountain. And in response, we sing praises and glory to God from our own hearts. The Gospel writers, those that include the Nativity story in their account of Jesus' life, didn't just put these stories there because they needed to fill up some space at the beginning. These people that we meet in the Nativity story are people that tell us something about what it means to meet Jesus. They tell us something about who Jesus is today. He is a blessing to the poor, to the young, to the unmarried, to the shamed. He is a long-awaited saviour and messiah to the Jews. He is the glory of God revealed to some poor shepherds working the night shift. He is the end of a long and costly research trip for a group of academic scholars. Each of these people tell us a story about who Jesus is and who he came to be. And we can't help hear this story and sing these songs about Jesus without asking the question, who is Jesus to me? Why did Jesus come to us? So we start our story before Jesus is even born. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah tells us about a coming king, a coming saviour. And that's where we start our Christmas story. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6 to 7. 
the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and came to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked him where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them, went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw this star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So as I've been reading through the Nativity story this Christmas, I felt strangely drawn to these enigmatic characters of the wise men. And perhaps it's because I reckon myself a little bit of a wise man. Um, I'm not sure, but... Um, there's something really intriguing about these characters. And I think it's definitely got to be the best part to play in the nativity story. You get to be mysterious, foreign, and wise. Um, and those of you that were here last week, you'll have seen that actually um, the, the children that were wise men um, stole the show, even if in nothing else but sheer volume. <laughs> so the wise men are, are, are really mysterious figures. But what do we know about them? They're called sometimes wise men, men from the east, philosophers, magi, kings. Were there three of them? Twelve of them? More of them? We don't really know from what we're told. And where did they come from? Some people have said Persia, Babylon, Yemen. Again, we don't really know. People have speculated about where these foreign men came from. And actually, Matthew is the only gospel writer to include this strange little story in his account of the birth of Jesus. And what we know about them is very brief from what Matthew tells us. But as with the shepherds and all of the other characters in the nativity story, these magi tell us something unique about who Jesus is. So what do we know? We know that these men were foreigners who had come to learn of the birth of a new king through their study of the stars. So we know that these men are some kind of um, academics um, or scholars. They're people that study the sky to find out new direction. And we don't know why or how they found that the baby Jesus was being born in Bethlehem. But what's interesting to know is that probably their discovery of Jesus is something that had taken quite a long time for them to come to. It was probably a long and detailed study of the sky and a long and detailed training of what the stars meant to them. 
And it's possible that some scholars have thought that uh, the, the planet Jupiter was aligned with the planet Saturn, which was, and Jupiter was traditionally associated with royalty. But again, we don't really know why they came. Uh, the other thing we know is that they were very wealthy. Um, we know this not only from the gifts that they gave, which were um, expensive gifts, but we also know because they came on a long distance trip from a foreign land, which would have taken them quite a long time, maybe months or perhaps even years, to find this little baby. So why does Matthew include this story of a group of rich academic scholars discovering the birth of a seemingly ordinary Jewish boy? Well, partly, uh, the wise men play an important role in the political power struggle that's going on in the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. King Herod ruled over the land of Judea, where Jesus was born. Um, and most likely the place where Jesus was raised in his early life. And he hears about some strange, powerful men from a foreign land coming to worship a new king. Someone that will overthrow him. Someone that will be more powerful than him. And so the baby Jesus, this young infant child, potentially three or four years old, before he can um, even really talk, is a political symbol that Jesus poses a threat. Jesus comes to say something about our political system. We heard um, in that prophecy from Isaiah that the Messiah would come with political meaning. But actually, the thing that I've been most drawn to as I thought through the story of the major of these kings is something that they represent to me. The shepherds have this kind of youthful enthusiasm and excitement for Jesus. They're here, the angels tell them to go find the Son of God, and they do. They were full of energy and faith, and as Hannah told us, they give up everything to follow Jesus. For the Magi, discovering Jesus is a much longer journey. It involved a detailed and thoughtful and careful study. And actually, we need both when we come close to Jesus. There is no end to what we can grapple with of who this man is, of who our God is. There's no end to what we can discover afresh about him. So Jesus calls us both to immediately leave our sheep and follow him. But also the journey is a long one. It engages not only our hearts, but engages our heads. The Magi are the symbol of the intellectual discovery of who Jesus is. We worship a God that visited both young and excitable workmen on the side of a hill and strange, mysterious academics from a foreign land. And that for me is the real beauty of who Jesus is in this story.
My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. He went into the temple courts. 
When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of so many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Can we just take a second to imagine how crazy that might have been? Can you just picture in your head what Mary must have been going through when she gave birth to Jesus? So she gave birth to a baby that wasn't conceived through, the, uh, through her fiancé, but through this thing called the Holy Spirit. Then um, she gave birth to the baby and there was this whole bunch of people that came to see her baby after following a star. And then she goes to the temple, quite a normal practice in those days, um, to seek purification, to uh, give a um, sacrifice, that's the word. And um, there's this crazy old man that approaches her, grabs her baby and says, now that I've seen your baby, I can die. Can you, can you imagine how bonkers that must have been for Mary at that point? So in this, uh, in this part of the Christmas story, we see uh, that Jesus has been circumcised, and then he goes to the temple um, to seek purification and to, uh, to give sacrifice. And then Simeon is waiting, and he's been waiting. We don't know how long he's been waiting, but he hears from the Holy Spirit that he will meet the salvation, and he will meet um, the Messiah, but he doesn't quite know what form it's going to come in. Um, we, we don't know how long he's been waiting. He could be waiting a day. He could have been waiting a thousand years. Who knows? Um, but he's been waiting for a long time. Um, to see the Messiah. And I couldn't help but think, when I was reading this passage, um, is to think back to what Hannah was saying about the shepherds before. They gave up everything they had. So they were 13 years old, they were really young, and they gave up everything they had just to follow, uh, follow the star and to meet Jesus. And um, in this part of the story, Simeon does the same. He's very old, probably, really old, um, probably older than all of us. And he waits for ages to meet Jesus, and he has no idea what, what's going to come when he meets the Messiah. He doesn't know whether it will be a massive star. He doesn't know whether it will be kind of this man who has all of the answers to everything. Um, but what, what, what approaches him is a baby, a boring baby, maybe, crying, hungry, pooping baby. Um, a baby. I genuinely can't imagine how weird that must have been for, Ma for Mary. But Simeon was so faithful and prayerful that he continued to pray in faith even though he had no idea what was coming and when he was coming. He had it ticked off his bucket list. Uh, he heard from the Holy Spirit, I will meet, uh, you will meet this Messiah before you die. So he had it ticked off. He didn't need to climb Mount Everest. He didn't need to fall in love or go skydiving. He had met, met the Prince of Peace and he felt true peace. And this Christmas we can feel true peace as well and all we need to do is say yes to Jesus and meet with him. There was nothing super special about Simeon. Um, in fact, this is the only time that we hear of this Simeon in the Bible. It's just a story. Um, but it says that he was a just and devout man. And that, the literal translation for just and devout, um, is showing commitment or total commitment to a cause or belief. Um, he was so certain that God was going to fulfill his promises that he was just and devout right to the end of his life when he said, I can die now that I've met him. 
And so, I mean, it's a perfect example of God, how God honours those who are constantly prayerful and constantly watchful about what the Holy Spirit's doing and about how Jesus will meet with us. Jesus was so young and Simeon was probably so old and yet this was God's divine intervention and this is what God had promised. And it doesn't matter how old or how young we are, God can use us today. All we have to do is say yes, live watchfully and pray constantly. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercifully and to walk humbly with your God? has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mm. 